Thank you for joining us for service this morning. I handed the notes to my son. My son is in the booth helping uh, with some of the lyrics and stuff. And I handed it to him. I said, I'm not married to this, so good luck following me. Uh, that's what it was. But today's an awesome day. We're in church. We're all dressed up. I'm crying. Brunch is probably waiting for you. Maybe there's a ham in the Nesco. But it's the greatest day ever because our King Jesus lives. I'm going to read a scripture for you today. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start there. I'm going to read a lot of scripture just to, just to warn you. If you have your Bible, try to follow me today. Uh, it will also be on the screen. But Hebrews chapter 10, let's read uh, 14 verses from chapter 10 as we start, and then uh, we'll get into our real text. How's that sound? <laughs> Hebrews 10, 1, it says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never be. By the same sacrifices that were continually offered year after year, every year, making perfect those who draw near, Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleaned, would no longer have any conscience of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Burnt offerings and sin offerings, do you have taken no pleasure? Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Verse 8 says, When he had said above, You neither have desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings, and burnt offerings and sin offerings, those are offered according to the law. He then added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin, but when Christ, but when Christ, I love it. We have our old self, we have the old way, we have the old law, we have the old covenants, but when Christ, had offered for one time, for all time, a single offering, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You want the Old Testament to make sense. You ever read the Old Testament and you're going like, I don't know what's going on here and what any of this means and they're killing animals left and right. Ugh, what's going on? Read Hebrews. Showing you this beautiful picture that all of that done in faith for the promised Messiah, the Lamb of God who would come and he would shed his own blood and take away the sins of the world. A single offering perfecting those who are being sanctified once and for all, it is finished in Jesus. And Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, proves it. 
The blood of bulls and goats could never do what Christ has done. It was all just a beautiful foreshadowing of his perfect sacrifice. Perfecting, cleansing, making righteous those who belong to him and who are being sanctified by him. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for us? That his sacrifice is sufficient. His sacrifice is perfect. There is nothing that you or I could add to it to make it better, but it is perfect in him. Only a king, only King Jesus could do that. It is finished. And his perfecting, atoning work is finished, and he is now seated on the throne, the right hand of the Father. All hail King Jesus. If you have your Bible, let's turn to uh, let's turn to First Corinthians, chapter fifteen. Familiar resurrection text. Verse one says, "Now I would remind you, brothers. Ever need somebody to remind you of some stuff? Remind you, brothers, of the gospel which I preached to you." which you've received, which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Verse three, for I delivered to you as of first importance, first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Then he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, some have passed away. Then he appeared to James, and then all the apostles. Last of all, as one to untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me is not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether it was I or they, or so we preach, and you so believed. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he's raised Christ, whom he did not raise, but it's true that dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Man, I could just preach sermons on that one right there. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, which is Christ. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
but each one in his order. Christ the first fruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. What a beautiful, beautiful text. Before we move on, let's pray again this morning. Jesus, again, we come before you. God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts. Each individual here this morning, God, wherever they are with you, whether it's been pretty casual as at this point, maybe they have been running from you, maybe they don't know you at all, God, today I pray that they would behold you, that you would capture their heart, that they would see your matchless worth, and God, that they would enthrone you in their lives. You are God. You are King. You are King of all. You are Lord of all. You are King of earth and sky, of heaven and earth. You are King. Jesus, God, I pray in our lives personally that we would enthrone you that you would be king in my own heart, ruler of all. God, today, let us receive the resurrection, the resurrected life, the new life that is only found in you. Open our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's the best day. Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday is the best day. We are celebrating that Jesus is alive, that his sacrifice on the cross is enough, as we just read, that his blood poured out atones for all of our sin. It covers us. That's something so red like blood, like the blood of Jesus, could take us and wash us clean, right? Though our sins are of scarlet, it says that he washes us whiter than snow. We're celebrating the work of Christ. To top it off, as he goes into the ground, he rises from the grave and conquers death and renders sin powerless. Our King Jesus has conquered the grave. All of this makes today a pretty great day. There's one more thing that makes it a pretty awesome day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it comes from the text that we just read in verse 17. It says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. But in fact, Christ has been raised. So you know what that means for us? In effect, that Christ has been raised, right? And it's a fact that was witnessed by so many, as Paul outlines in this chapter. It wasn't just a few women that went to the grave that early Sunday morning wasn't just a few of his closest disciples, his closest friends. It wasn't just his 12 disciples. But Paul tells us that there were hundreds of witnesses at one time, over 500 brothers, it says. And often in this time, they didn't count all the families and the women and the children. They counted the men and they said over 500 brothers witnessed it at one time. These witnesses could testify, or heck, they could, they could refute it, right? Fact checkers, we're pretty familiar with fact checkers these days, right? We've checked your post, and your post is not deemed completely factual. 
misrepresenting, missing some parts. These witnesses, Paul says, they, they, they were there, they saw, they, many of them are still alive today as he writes this letter. The fact that Christ has been raised the fact that Christ has been raised means that our believing is founded. That our faith is not futile or in vain. That it's not worthless. But it's completely validated as if God took a big rubber stamp and validated it all. That this wonderful book that you hold in your hands, that every word of it is true because Jesus is risen. Every word of it you can trust. Every word of it you can believe because God is who he says he is and God did what he said he did. He has conquered the grave. Easter Sunday is the best day because it means that it's all true. Every word of it, every word breathed out by God in his holy scriptures is true. It can be trusted without hesitation, without worry because King Jesus is risen. And he's reigning on his throne. Ever notice that much of Jesus' ministry is talking about the kingdom of heaven? Right? King Jesus puts on flesh in the most humble fashion, comes down, right? Christmas, born in a manger. No room at the inn. Be born in a barn. Not very fitting for a king comes in the most humble fashion. And then, as he starts his ministry, he starts off by saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And from that day forward, he kept giving his followers a glimpse of what the, heaven, what the kingdom of heaven was like. The kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like treasure. It's like a mustard seed. It's like this great, valuable treasure. Even central to his prayer is he's teaching his disciples how to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, When you pray, pray like this. And you guys all know it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. He's a king with a kingdom. As he concludes that prayer, right? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Jesus Christ, King Jesus, came to establish his kingdom. I don't know if you know much about kingdoms, empires, rulers. The kingdom of heaven is unlike any other kingdom we've ever seen or experienced through history. Most kingdoms expand and move forward by force. Right? We, we're, we've seen what's happening over right Ukraine, crossing borders, taking land by force. All through scripture. Even in Jesus' time, Rome, the Roman Empire, empire like no other. Rome comes in and takes by force. The kingdom of heaven is upside down. It's different. Jesus taught all the time that it wasn't by force, that it's not by advancing, but it's in love and humility and service. The fact that God, that a, that a king would come down and serve, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life 
a ransom for many. God is the ultimate giver, and I hope you understand this. This has been burning in my heart for, for weeks now. Going back, going back to our giving series, our stewardship series, just a few weeks ago, and then even into the book of John. Like, I hope you see God as the ultimate giver. That he has given you all things. God is not a taker. He is not a taker. When you look through scriptures, if you think that he is a taker, you've got it all wrong. He is given He has given, he has given himself so beautifully and wonderfully to his children. He establishes his kingdom by service and by giving, by washing dirty feet and healing the most objectionable, the most untouchable, the outcast lepers. He establishes his kingdom by seeking and saving the lost, revealing his great love and his great sacrifice. That's how he establishes his kingdom. And there are so many great brothers and sisters in this room that Jesus Christ has established his kingdom in your hearts. That you have beheld him, that you have seen his great love, right? Not that we loved him first, but that he first loved us. We've beheld his great love. And when you see it, when you see his worth, you can't help but just offer your life back to him. Like there is nothing in this world, there is nothing in my life that is worth more than obtaining that treasure, my Jesus. So he woos me with his great love. Like it is not a thing where he put his thumb on my neck and he looks at me and he says, submit. He says, I'm going to take you by force, but I see his great love and I go, oh man, I can't help. I can't help but love you back. And he's enthroned. He establishes a kingdom, his kingdom, a kingdom of love and a kingdom of grace and a kingdom of mercy in my heart. And so then the outliving of my life, now ruled by King Jesus, becomes one of service and love and care for others. A love and a care for others that first and foremost starts with shouting, proclaiming, declaring the good news of the one who saved me. The one whom I've enthroned. I was once a part of the kingdom of this world, lost, destitute, destined for hell. But God has revealed his great love to me and is establishing his kingdom inside of me. And now I'm a proclaimer of that good news. He's the ultimate giver, wooing hearts, bidding us to come and those hearts and those lives, his church enthroning him. King Jesus is still establishing his kingdom in the hearts and lives of his church. We will one day worship before his throne. Now, Revelation is kind of a scary book at times, isn't it? It's the one that we avoid, right? It's the one that's like, it's, there's a lot of imagery in there, a lot of things that I don't understand it refers to, right, it refers to this throne. Think about uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 13, right? Heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under earth and in the sea that is saying, to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Do you remember that? Did you guys sing that growing up in your church? 
To him who sits on the throne. No, I did. Awesome. He sits on a throne. And someday we will all stand before that throne and we will be judged. We will all stand before the throne room of God and we will be judged by our King. Those who've rejected, those who have rejected Him, those who have rejected that bidding, that soft bidding, saying, I am King, I am Savior, I love you, I have come to undo the curse of sin over your life. Trust in me. Put your faith in me. Take my yoke upon you. Follow me. See, when we come into that place, we come before that throne in Revelation chapter 20. Right, Those who are not found in the Lamb's book of life, anyone's name who's not written in the book of life, they are destined for destruction. It says that they will be thrown into the lake of fire. But those who trust in Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, those who trust in him, there is grace The blood of Jesus, the blood of that lamb covers. And so when the Father looks down on me, he doesn't see dirty, rotten, filthy me, but he sees his perfect son. Think about Hebrews chapter 4. Again, Hebrews. Verse 14, it says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet he's without sin. Verse 16, it says, Then let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of what? Of grace. That we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Right? Because Jesus came who is the great high priest, who passed through that curtain, which is his body, that it was broken, torn in two, and now we have access to God because of the righteousness of Jesus. I say this all the time. If you hang out here at church all the time, like, it baffles me. Like, we, we think lightly of God's holiness. We don't understand just how pure God is. It says that he dwells in unapproachable light. Like, there's no way that little old me, that Kevin, on my best day, could even stand before him. Not in myself, not in my own righteousness, not in my own goodness. But Jesus perfects me, justifies me, makes me, puts me in a right legal standing before God. I am declared not guilty because of Jesus. He took my sin, he took my shame, he took it all And he nailed it to the cross. And then he beat it forever by rising again. I can boldly come to that throne full of grace because of Jesus. Let's read one more scripture together. It's actually the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
Verse 50 says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. There's that kingdom again. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is Sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who give us the victory, gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. Right? There is some, there's a day coming where our bodies, even our fleshly bodies, if we pass on from this life, we too, these bodies will be resurrected, which is pretty good because this one's breaking down pretty hard. You know, anybody feel me? I used to like work out and get sore, feel sore the next day. Now I just go to sleep and I wake up sore. I don't know what that's about. There was one day that he will even resurrect these mortal bodies because of the power. He has overcome it all. But the perishable has to put on the imperishable. Flesh is more than just a physical thing. It's a mindset. It's a mode of living. When you read through the scriptures and it talks about no longer walking by the flesh, but walking by the spirit, what we have there is something that is very perishable and something that is imperishable. When we look at the book of John, John chapter 3, right, it talks about being born again. When Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, this scholar, this guy who knows the Bible, he knows the scriptures, Jesus is talking to him, and he's like, you must be born again. you got to be made new. He's like, what do you mean? How do you climb back up into your mom? Like, that's weird. Like, ah, can't be born again. He says, that which is flesh gives birth to flesh. That which is spirit gives birth to spirit. Do not marvel that I say you must be born again. That flesh is perishable. It will die. The spirit is imperishable. It will live forever. We must be born again. That's why salvation is so amazing. With the power of the Holy Spirit of God, you start to see the world, you start to see the flesh nature, the sin nature for what it is. You start to see and maybe even feel and experience all the hurt and pain that is wrapped up in the flesh. You feel the lostness, the worthlessness, all of these fleshly, selfish pursuits and passions, they leave me feeling dry, wanting more, wanting something real, wanting something that's not going to fade or die. That's an ache in our souls put there by the Holy Spirit of God himself. And in his kindness, in his goodness, he starts to reveal the beauty and worth of Christ. That I definitely need a Savior and need to be made new. 
that everything that is fleshly about me, which is going to perish and pass away, needs to be made new, made clean, made right by the Spirit of God himself. I thank God for that ache. Man, there's sometimes where I get to counsel with people and sit down with people, and they're just at a, like a broken point. And if you've been there, and if you're there right now, like, I, I have good news for you, okay? Where you're at that point where you're just like, I feel so lost. I feel so broken. I feel so dry inside. I, I have this ache and this longing for something more. I'm here to tell you today, it's King Jesus. You need to be made new by his spirit. Not stuck in that flesh that's going to perish, but be made new by his Holy Spirit. And so we follow him. We sense the beckoning of his spirit over our souls where King Jesus calls us to follow him, to take up our cross, to die to the old flesh, and to put on the new self which is being renewed in him By faith, we are then born of the Spirit of God. We are then clothed in his righteousness. And that throne, that throne becomes a place that we can boldly come to because it's full of grace and mercy. Because of him. Not because of me, because of him. So this morning is an awesome day that we get to celebrate the victory in Christ Jesus. But thanks be to God, verse 57, to who gives to thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. King Jesus, victorious, and his resurrection proves it, validates it, makes all of it true. And so this morning, to quote our video from last week, I believe. That's my king. Do you know him? Do you know him? Like, have you enthroned him? Like, our God, Jesus Christ, is king over all the earth. Whether you like it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, he's God, he's king. Now, for you personally, have you enthroned him? He's not going to come in by force. He's not going to put his, his, his thumb on the back of your neck and say, submit. He's not going to commandeer, but he's going to beckon you with his love. He's going to show you who he is. He's going to wash your feet. He's going to make you new. He's going to take all the dirt and the filth, and he's going to cleanse you with his blood. Have you enthroned King Jesus? Have you made him Lord of your life? If you sense the Spirit beckoning you today, enthrone him. Submit to, put your faith in the one who loved you enough to go to the cross and die, but who was also powerful enough to rise again and make it all true. Bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning. Philippians says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow 
and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We will all confess it someday. Today, my question for you, is he your king? Have you personally enthroned him as Lord? I'll tell you this, if he is not Lord, he is not Savior. Have you felt his call? Have you seen his great love? Maybe this Easter season, maybe even today, you've seen his great love. Maybe even for the first time, your eyes have been opened to him and his great love for you. He died to remove your sins and to make you righteous, to make you able to stand before him. Have you enthroned him as king? Today, if you're in this place, You just want to acknowledge that you need Jesus as king of your heart, as king of your life, as Lord over all. If you're in this place today and you just want to acknowledge that, please look up and catch my eye. I'd love to include you in a prayer. Thank you, guys. Praise God. Thank you. He loves you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise be to God. This acknowledgement is just one small piece of it. As you're sitting here today, as we're going to sing in just a few moments, I would implore you to invite the Holy Spirit into your life. Say, God, come and save me. Come and make me clean, and he will do it. Ask him to give you the strength and the courage to put all of your faith in him, and he will do it. Father, I thank you for my friends here today who are acknowledging that they need salvation in you. They're acknowledging today that they're going to enthrone you and that they've felt the beckoning, that they have heard the call, and today they acknowledge they need Christ the King as Savior. Meet them today. God, be faithful with your spirit. Change them, transform them. God, fill them with your Holy Spirit and make them new. God, I pray that they would have full assurance of salvation. That you would testify to their spirit. God, that you would live inside of them. That you give them the strength and the courage to repent and turn from their flesh and to follow wholeheartedly after you. We thank you for new life. We thank you that you're on the throne. We thank you that we have victory in you. And so God, today, as your people, as your body, those who have been purchased by your blood, we declare all hail King Jesus. I pray for every one of us in this room, every one of us who calls Mercy Hill Church their home, and, and even those that might be visiting with us today, God, for those of us in this room that claim Christ, God, I pray that this church, that our church, that your church would be a bold body that would declare Jesus, that would proclaim the good news of Christ, our sovereign King. We thank you. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's respond. Let's sing together. Please, church, worship your King.